I, I figured out that there had to be something between those two, between the automatic yes and the waiting until the perfect moment. And that's where this idea of good enough came in, which puts me squarely in my year of good enough. Welcome to the School of Midlife podcast. I'm Lori Reynoldson, former award-winning attorney turned high-performance coach for midlife women. I designed this podcast as your go-to place for weekly midlife inspiration, where I'll be sharing inspiring stories, providing step-by-step -step actionable coaching, and introducing you to some incredible women who are absolutely crushing it at the midlife game. And you'd better believe we'll also be having candid conversations about midlife relationships, career moves, money, menopause, and so much more. So take out your reading glasses and notebooks, my friends, because the School of Midlife is in session. Hey there, welcome back to the School of Midlife. Today we are talking about my year of good enough. I don't know if you are one of those people who chooses a word of the year for probably the last five, five, six, seven years. I choose a word of the year. Previous words of the year have been action, leap inspire, trust. A lot of times it seems like that they are verb words to encourage some sort of action in my life. But for the last couple of years, instead of choosing a word for the year, I've started choosing a word for the quarter. And that's because it seems like life is changing just at a very rapid pace. And what might be important today might not be so important to me in a couple of months from now. And I was also finding that I was almost getting a little too precious about picking the word. Like it was taking me too long to settle on a word because I was looking for the perfect word to describe what it was I was after for the year. And that's exactly why the Best Life Daily Planner and Habit Tracker, the planner that I created, it's exactly why that planner is a quarterly planner. Because if you look at planning for the whole year, you it, it just gets a little overwhelming. And it's an undated planner because that way you can start when you're ready. You don't have a bunch of pages that say you decide to start at the time this episode is recorded, it's March. Say you're getting ready to start a new planner and it's March. Why do you want to pay for January dates and February dates and half of March dates when you're not going to use those? And the planner is also spiral bound instead of book bound. Because I found that when I was getting ready to start a new planner, there was something about a bound book. And making sure that I had the perfect pens, my favorite pens that just glided over the page as I was writing whatever I was writing in my journal. I had to make sure that my name and contact info in the front of the journal was in the most perfect penmanship. And, and the fact that there is something very precious about a book that is book bound versus one that's spiral bound. Spiral bound to me, for some reason, like the old spiral notebooks that we used to have in school, you can just rip a page out if you want. But you can't do that with a book. 
I I was always very intentional about making sure that I had the right pen and the right penmanship before I started writing in my planner. And what I found was all of that perfection led to delay. I was waiting for the right time or the right place or the right people in my life to take the right action. That is something that we will pretty much wait a lifetime for. All of the stars are not going to align so that there's this perfect time for the next perfect action. So a lot of times that planner would sit on my shelf and I wouldn't do anything with it because it was just too precious to break open and start using, which is silly because obviously if you're not using a planner, then it's not going to do any good for you. Back to the word of the year. I was noticing that when I was choosing my word of the year, much like with the planner, I was putting on too much of a pedestal. I was It was like I was almost using kid gloves with it because it was so precious. I had to get the exact right word. Instead of doing a word for the year, then I was going to a word of the quarter. And that was better. My word of the quarter right now is good enough, which I know isn't a word. It's a phrase, but let's call it a word. My phrase of the quarter is good enough. And I'm using that as an antidote to this struggle with perfectionism that I have had for most of my life. Just to level set here, the verb to perfect means to bring to final form, to improve or to refine. So if we are going to improve something or refine it, that necessarily means we have to have a first version. You can't improve something if you don't have a starting place. Similarly, you can't refine something if you don't have a first draft. You can't start and your first product is refined, improved, perfected. Does that make sense? If that's the case, we need to get comfortable with the first version being something other than perfect. And when we do that, it allows us a little more freedom so that what we start with doesn't have to be the end product out of the gate. Like my speaking coach, Heather says, you need a shitty rough draft. You have to have a starting point. You literally have to have something to improve or perfect. You need something to start with. Think of it as ready, aim, fire with the idea that you prepare for something, you hone in on your target, and then you fire. For much of my life, it feels like it was like, ready, aim fire i maybe never got to the fire because i was spending so much time on the aim part i was so worried about getting it right right out of the gate at the time this episode is recording we are squarely in the midst of march madness i love college basketball season if sports analogies aren't your thing i apologize but go with me here A lot of the perimeter shooters 
they're the ones that maybe aren't the tallest on the basketball court. They typically have very good ball handling skills, but they shoot three-pointers. They're behind the arc. Even a perfect shot. So let's say it's at the perfect spot on the floor. They maybe dribble once or twice to get in their rhythm. They wait until they're undefended. They have a perfect vision to the basket. They know where they are in the 40-second shot clock, and they're not rushed, but they're just, the timing is perfect. And they come back, and they shoot the hoop. And even when the conditions are perfect, they're only making 40 to 50% of the perfect shots. So even when all of the stars are aligned, they're still missing half the time. It's still, despite that ready, aim, fire, there's still some of that unknown that they can't control. But do even though they can only be successful only 40 to 50% of the time, do you think that they stop shooting threes? No. They keep shooting threes. In order to make the basket, you have to keep shooting. Even if you miss, you got to keep throwing up the threes because eventually they'll start going in and you'll start making the points. Same thing with this idea of perfectionism. If you wait until everything is perfect, you're at the perfect spot on the floor, you're right in your rhythm, you're undefended, you have a perfect vision to the basket, and then you shoot, ready, aim, fire, you're still only going to be perfect half of the time, an unattainable goal, which is why I've just been loving this year of good enough. Several years ago, Chandra Rhymes of Grey's Anatomy and a lot of, of TV shows that have been wildly popular. Grey's Anatomy definitely leading the list. Several years ago, she wrote a book called The Year of Yes. She wanted to get out of her comfort zone. She was a lot of times would say no to invitations to do things. She, she was much more comfortable going to work and then going home and just spending time with her family. And she decided in order to get herself out of her comfort zone that for a year when she was presented with an invitation, she was going to say yes because she wanted to have some new experiences, meet some new people, be more open. It seems like she needed a year of yes because she had been so judicious with the yeses she had been giving out previously. I, I am the opposite of that. I certainly have what some people would call shiny object syndrome. Oh, that looks fun. Or I want to try that. Or you see somebody on social media and they're out skiing or they're at the beach or you think, I want to go there and do that too. And because I have spent a lot of time chasing shiny objects, I'm always looking at the latest and greatest. It, I mean, I'm an influencer's dream, will call me, <laughs> because you can suggest something to me and I will definitely go check it out. I might not buy it, but I'm going to go read about it and maybe understand how it works, read some reviews. But if I buy it and I like it, everyone around me will know about it, too. That's the good thing about shiny objects is I'm willing to try new things. But the problem with the shiny object syndrome is it's really easy to get off track on what's important. Because sometimes if I'm trying something new, 
And maybe it's not working out as quickly as I would like it to. If there is something new in my orbit, I might switch to that right away. And the problem with that is you never really have time to bet out if something is working or not. So on the one hand, we have Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes. And then on the other hand, we've got this idea of perfectionism where you're going to wait to do anything. I, I figured out that there had to be something between those two, between the automatic yes and the waiting until the perfect moment. And that's where this idea of good enough came in, which puts me squarely in my year of good enough. What that has allowed me to do is it's given me more time to focus on what's important. I find that I am less stressed because I know I'm heading in the right direction and I know I'm taking action on what matters. I also have less anxiety because I'm letting go of that perfect. And because everything is a learning step or it's getting me closer to where I want to be without the heaviness or the obligation of being perfect, I don't spend so much time in my head replaying the situation, ruminating on what I said. How could I have done this better? And the bonus of that is I'm even sleeping better. So for me, this idea of good enough, it has worked beautifully. If you want to think about it on, let's think about it on a bar graph. What we think consistency and good action looks like is Every single day of the week, that bar graph would top out at 100%. Because we think that in order to take action, we have to take highest off the charts best action. When we look at a bar graph, again, every all seven days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all of the action would be at 100%. But what that actually looks like in practice is it's going to be 100% one day and then 30% the next day, 10% the following day, and then, then it might jump up to 90%. What the bar graph should look like is in order to be consistent and to be taking the next right action, there has to be something more than zero every day. The intensity of the action will fluctuate. Again, 100%, 30%, 10%, 40%, all along that spectrum. Because some days you're feeling it and other days you're not. But the beauty is in the consistency. If you do a little today, you can do some more tomorrow, some the day after that, and so on and so on. And what that is doing for you is it is keeping you consistent, moving you forward without having to wait until everything is perfect and the stars are lined up for you to take action. I don't know if you're familiar with Darren Hardy, but he wrote The Compound Effect, and this is 100% the compound effect in action. It's the discipline of taking daily action, no matter how small. And Greg McCown, who wrote Essentialism, also addressed this in his book, focusing on what he calls the vital few. Focus on the vital few instead of the trivial many. So when we think about that, we're focusing on the, that very small group that is going to get us the most action, the closest to where we're trying to get. And in focusing on that, then we're drowning out all of the other 
excuses and shiny objects and all of the other things that are getting in our way. Both of those, Compound Effect and Essentialism, are great reads. I reread them every year. I will link to them in the show notes if you are interested in reading them yourself. What does good enough look like in your real life? I'll I'll just give you a couple of examples of how this is showing up in my life right now. A meeting ran long last week and I need to throw together dinner with whatever's in the pantry and the refrigerator. Is it a gourmet dinner that is perfectly plated? Nope. Is it nutritious? Does it taste good? Yes, it's good enough. When we are having company over, is the house perfectly clean and spotless? Is it spotless? No, but it's good enough. Hell, I mean, even this podcast, it's good enough. I'm learning a lot of new skills when it comes to sound mixing and editing and getting the right equipment. At at the end of recording, am I saying everything I wanted to say in an episode? Probably not. But what I've figured out is that just gives me more to talk about in a future episode. Is the messaging perfect? No, but it's good enough. Today, I have a bit of a head cold. So I'm certain that the playback is going to sound a little more nasally than usual. Does that mean I should delete it and re-record when I'm not a little stuffed up? I could, and there certainly was a time in my life where 100% I would, but I'm not going to because it's good enough. It doesn't matter what the sound of my voice sounds like. It's all about what is the substance of the content. And even though I'm a little stuffed up today, I think it's good enough. Is the podcast perfectly produced? Nope. Is it a good start? Absolutely. Will be better in the future? Will I get better over time? No question about that. But as far as waiting until I I had all of the sound mixing and editing and the right equipment and all the apps and the message 100% dialed in, if I did that, I would probably be stuck in that ready, aim, fire mode again. And I don't want to live there because when you get stuck in that kind of planning paralysis mode, you don't take action. And when you don't take action, you just stay where you are, which for some people is fine. That's not how I want to live my life. I want to get a little bit better every day and a little bit closer to becoming the person I want to be when I'm living my best life. Other ways this might play out in your life is what I like to call Striving for the C-plus holidays. I think so many of us, when the holidays are right in front of us, we think we have to have the perfect picture on the holiday cards and get all the cookies baked and perfectly decorated and all the lights on the house are perfectly hung and go to the church service wearing the perfect tartan plaid outfit. The tree is perfectly decorated. The wrapping paper perfectly coordinates with the tree decorations. The wording and the pictures on the wrapping paper are perfectly lined up so you can't even see a seam. You've got a signature cocktail for your party with just the exact amount of booziness and festiveness. But what I'll say about that is... The key to the holidays is to create meaningful experiences that people will remember going forward. Think back five years ago to the holiday season in 2018. Do you remember what the picture on your holiday cards look like? 
Do you remember what kind of cookies you baked or what the lights look like on the house or how the tree was decorated or what the wrapping paper looked like? No, you don't. But you probably remember some great experiences with friends and family members that can't tell you. They they don't know if your tartan plaid perfectly matched your Christmas tree and the paper was all the, in the right color scheme. What they remember is the way you made them feel. And by lightening up a little bit on the perfection of the holidays, not only are you going to be able to enjoy yourself more, but the people around you are going to enjoy themselves too because they're going to feed off of your energy. They're going to feed off that kind of relaxed excitement that you're experiencing in your life when you let go of perfectionism, when you settle for good enough. Even, even at C+, plus, that's only a passing grade, but it's better than 78% of everyone else. I think we can all agree that is good enough, right? Another way this is coming up in my life right now is I'm doing the 75 hard again. If you were following me last year on social media, you know that I did the 75 hard challenge last summer. It, If you're not familiar with it, it is a challenge where for 75 days, you stick with a diet of your choice. Each day you drink a gallon of water. You complete two workouts a day. They both are at least 45 minutes each, and one has to be outside. You take a daily progress picture, read 10 pages in a nonfiction, we'll call it personal development book each day. And for 75 days, you have no alcohol and no cheap meals. There are plenty of people that approach the 75 hard because they want to lose a bunch of weight slim way down, look great in a bikini. There are lots of different reasons why people undertake 75 hard. I do not approach 75 hard to be perfect. When I do 75 hard, and again, this is my second time doing it, I'm doing it because I want to reestablish the healthy habits in my life. Could I make sure that every workout was at 100%, that it was absolutely perfect? Yeah, absolutely. Is that sustainable for me? No. My target is not, can I get to 180 pounds of a deadlift at one point? I, I don't even know if that's what I should be targeting as far as deadlift numbers because I just don't even think in that. I do deadlifts, but I, I never care how much weight I'm lifting. But my goal is not to go 100% balls to the wall every single day. Instead, my target is to finish the challenge. By doing that, I will create some sustainable, healthy habits that work as a foundation for the rest of the things I'm working on in my life. I also know that my energy is going to ebb and flow during the challenge. So some days I could be 100% for both workouts because I've got plenty of time to do the workouts. I got enough sleep the night before. My eating is on point. I'm well hydrated. So I go outside and I just crush my run. And then maybe I lift weights in the afternoon and that's an incredible workout too. So some days, 100% for both workouts. 
Other days, I'm going to settle for 20 or 30%. And maybe that looks like an outside walk with my dog. Maybe that looks like a stretching session of yoga. Again, there are no rules on what that workout has to be other than one of them has to be outside. So I can choose how I'm going to approach the workouts based on how I feel just so that I can get the workouts in for the day because it's that idea, it's that compound effect, it's that consistent daily action. It's taking action when it's good enough instead of waiting until it's perfect. Here's my challenge for you for the next week. I'd like you to take a look at where can you settle for good enough in your life this week? What doesn't need you to be at 100% to still be successful? Where can you dial it back to say 70% or 50% or even 30%? And when you do that, not only do I want you to take notice of, one, did you get it done? But two, how do you feel? Are you less stressed? Are you less anxious? Did the thing get done anyway? It could even be something that you delegate, right? Where you get over the idea that you're the only one that can do it right. Hand it off to somebody and be grateful that they have taken it off your plate and they are doing it good enough. Just how can you infuse the idea of good enough in your life this week? And I would love to hear how that goes for you. In the meantime, make it a great week. In fact, don't make it a great week. Make it a good enough week. Have a good one. I'll see you back here real soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the School of Midlife podcast. I'd love it if you would take a moment and join my mailing list. The link is in the show notes. And if you're ready to make midlife your best life, you can also find out more about how to work with me in the show notes as well. I'll see you right here next week when school is back in session.